0: Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows. And today on the show, we have Peter and Paula Hines. Peter and Paula own and operate a grass-based dairy in County Cork, Ireland. So as of today, they are my first international guests. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I heard, first heard of Peter and Paula on the Rock and Roll Farming podcast. They were on there promoting their Raring to Go mental health workshop and charity auctions. So after listening to their podcast, their interview on there, I reached out to Peter on Twitter and asked him if he would be interested in recording a podcast for our show for Ag State of Mind. And he was more than willing and eager to jump on a call with us. We kind of had some time zone discrepancies, so that is something I am. That was my fault. I miscalculated the time difference between Cuba, Missouri and County Cork, Ireland. Um, For those of you paying attention at home, it is six hours time difference. So I actually caught Peter and Paula right before they were going to bed. So it was about 3.30 my time. So... That was a bit of a challenge, but we were able to overcome it and have a really wonderful conversation. So um, before we get started, I want to encourage anyone who is listening to head on over to their wherever they get their podcast and hit the subscribe button so you'll be sure to never miss an episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. And while you're over there, be sure to leave us a review, um, like I've said in previous podcast intros. The reviews are the way we reach a broader audience. So we want to get in front of as many people as we can, get into as many ears as we can. So if you would leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. So without any further ado, here is my podcast conversation with Peter and Paula Hines of County Cork, Ireland. Peter and Paula, how are you all doing today? Fine. Thanks, Jason. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Everyone will notice that the uh, the accents coming from Peter and Paula are just a little bit different than uh, you'll typically hear on the show. Can you guys tell me a little bit about you and where you're from? Um,
1: so we live in
0: Ireland in a place called Cork in southern Ireland. We're
1: both dairy farmers. We milk 180 Alston Friesian cows. We farm with our three. We have three daughters. Chloe is 16. Becky is nearly 13. And the boss, Georgina, is six. They all help out in the farm. They're great. We'd be lost without them. We have 270 acres and we do it together as a family. So life is busy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. So you say you're a a grass-based dairy. Can you tell tell me a little bit about how that differs from maybe a, a traditional dairy?
2: Yeah, so uh, the farm here, we're 100% spring calving. Uh, So we start calving the cows, start of February. And our goal is to calve as many cows as fast as possible. We hit close to 90% in six weeks. And from the 1st of February on, the cows go straight to grass. So their diet is 95% grass. And we can achieve somewhere between 300 and three hundred and twenty days of grass uh, feeding about five six hundred kilos of dairy ration per cow, and we're getting close to five hundred kilos of milk solids per cow produced.
0: Wow, that's incredible! Three hundred plus days of grass—that's uh, that's remarkable. Is that typical for Ireland?
2: I suppose it's the way research has kind of directed Irish dairy systems uh, in the last decade. That's I suppose the most efficient and I suppose also environmentally friendly way to produce dairy is to do maximize your days of grass. And for us it's a low cost system. So with the fluctuations in dairy in global dairy markets, if the milk price does crash, we're always in a strong position to, to, to ride through the low points and um it becomes a pretty streamlined uh system to run. I mean, like where I suppose the climate here suits us. And uh, we're lucky We're. where Ireland is exceptionally good at growing grass. We get plenty of rain, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes a, a little bit too much, but we also have a mild climate. So the grass is growing over the winter and by measuring grass weekly and entering the figures into computer programs, we can manage the grass based system, looking at how much grass we're growing per week, what the demand is on the farm, and then also producing enough fodder to to last us in the winter when the cows are hosed.
0: So that's that's incredible. That's uh you sounds like you guys have a pretty management intensive system going there. That's uh that's really remarkable. And if I remember, if I read right, Peter, you you are pretty new to the ag sector. Is that, Am I remembering that right? And that you just recently—not recently, but less than less than a decade ago—went to went to ag school.
2: Yeah, I only started farming in 2010. Uh, went to agricultural college and took over the farm here. And at the time, uh, we had 50 cows and kept a few beef cattle. And um, then in 2014, father was working in retail at the time. And I managed to persuade her to uh, <laughs> to try her hand at farming and milking cows. And she milked her first cow in late 2014. And EU milk quotas were removed then in the start of 2015. And it gave us a chance to really push the farm forward and expand. So we put up new facilities in 2017 calved down 180 cows that year, new milking parlor, new barn for the, the couple of months that we are housed. And that uh, yeah, gives us great scope with the farm. And I suppose we've got a huge amount of support within the industry too, from researchers and the National Cattle Breeding Center. and Even right down to our bank, I suppose they've always believed in us and where we wanted to go and they were willing to support us. And I think for... uh a farm with absolutely no money in the bank uh, to be able to borrow half <laughs> a million euros and put up new facilities uh, it just showed the, the, the relationship that we had with everyone in the team that they were committed to the end result. And uh, thankfully, we have a lot of that debt paid down now in a short space of time and uh, looking to the future and where, where will we go on. I think there's opportunities for us to diversify in time.
0: That's incredible. To have support like that to i mean to go into a a basically you know an unknown venture is pretty remarkable um
1: it's all about the business plan
0: yeah no, you're right about that, yeah, no, without the business plan, there is no farm so uh, i I applaud you all for that. It sounds like you've it sounds like you've got that all kind of uh rolling in the right direction
2: i mean we've made plenty of mistakes along the way and We're never afraid to try new things and we'll try something. And if it it fails, we probably learn twice as much by having something go wrong and then just change it and adjust it to suit the farm. And uh, it's a a learning curve and that's what farming is. And at the end of the day, it has to be treated as a business as well. And uh, that's how you progress in life.
0: Yeah, it's hard to... The farm, it's really hard to... And I've talked about this before. It's really hard to take the emotion out of it. You know, it's a business first, but there is a certain emotional aspect that goes into it that you have to think with that in the kind of the back of your head. But at the same time, you can't let it completely guide your decisions. And, uh, you know, I think that maybe is one of the, one of the hardest things about the farming and ranching business is, is taking that taking those uh, emotional subsidies out of it, if you, for lack of a better term. It's, uh, it can be kind of hard to do.
2: Yeah. And I think if you can mix the idea that, look, it's a business, but you have to have a huge passion to be successful in farming and, and to survive in, in farming to an extent that uh, when you can marry the two together and believe in what you're doing and, and have good respect for your, your, wow. your livestock and I think for us, we see the dairy herd as, as work colleagues, uh, uh-huh. so formally, and, and, and they get a huge level of respect. And I think that kind of shines through when we have tours with the farm. And we've actually had a lot of U.S. and Canadian tours on the farm this year, and it's always a pleasure to share what we do and exchange ideas with people from around the world.
0: That's that's great. No, that's great. So I want to I want to kind of get to the meat of this and i want to i want to talk about your work with mental health and raising awareness for mental health and agriculture and uh why the passion why why is this something that is so important to you guys
2: Uh, uh, i suppose cut a long story short uh 18 years ago i struggled with depression uh, and i really really had a time and i suppose it was the, the darkest part of my life and uh I was very lucky at the time that Paula, I suppose she knew from the word go, there was something seriously not right with me. And uh, as much as I denied it, she, she persuaded me eventually to go to the
0: doctor. I and kept
1: nagging and nagging and nagging.
0: Uh-huh. W- wives will do that. I, I've got one of those myself. <laughs> I, I linked up with a very
2: good counselor and I think it uh, ultimately made Paula and myself a stronger couple, but uh, was it also puts you in a position where you have to focus on managing your own mental well-being in life and, and put a, a huge emphasis on it so that you don't return to a dark place. And then I suppose it was something that only myself and Paula and our doctor and counsellor knew about up until 2017. And uh, we won the Farmer of the Year that year. And we were just, we made a conscious decision the night we won the award that we'd try and let others benefit from it and decided to hold host an open day on the farm for charity. And we picked two charities. One was a mental health charity called Aware and the other was a birth cancer awareness charity. So in the run-up to the open day, we... Uh, Explain. We just said something on social media about why we had chosen the two charities. And I said something very small about why we chose a mental health charity. And I got a, a message from someone on social media that night. And I suppose, look, they, they were they were thinking of ending their life. And uh, it's just somebody that I connected to. And we chatted and uh, still chat from time to time. But I chatted to them an awful lot of the time. And it was a huge eye-opener to us as a couple that by talking about something, even so in such a small way, it was going to in some way help someone else. And at the time, we agreed with the newspaper that was covering the open day uh, that they could we would give them a full interview on how I had struggled with depression so that nobody would be wondering what was the story. You know, we didn't want it half told. And put it out there, and and just I suppose you know when you're on social media, you end up connecting with so many people around the world, and you get so many private messages from people who struggle, and even going to public events, there there was people coming up to us quietly who were really struggling and just wanted to chat, and I suppose could relate to us because we were willing to put our own struggles out out there in public, and uh, then. Yeah.
1: The other reason as well is I suppose myself and Pete are lucky that we farm full-time together. So like, we have each other on the farm every day where here a lot of farmers are farming on their own. And it's Yeah. Isolated.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You know, they'd be lucky to even just see the milk lorry driver every couple of days. So that's a huge problem here is the isolation as well. And, um, you know, we're so lucky in that respect. We just felt that it was, we needed to let people know that it is okay not to be okay, that there's no shame in feeling down or having a bad day and, you know, just trying to remove that stigma that's out there.
0: Right. You know, and you say that okay to not be okay. Peter, was was that something that you struggled with at first? You know, when you first started talking to more people about it, did it just eventually come to you after sharing your story over and over that you realized it was okay to not be okay or was that something you were okay with before you started talking to people?
2: I suppose I was always conscious having been through you know, a situation like that, that it is okay not to be okay. And I suppose you know, when when we discussed it publicly, even for us, it was always a, a huge challenge and, and still is anytime that uh, we do an in-depth interview that uh, talk about a lot of dark times in your life and uh, it's it's not the easiest conversation to have but I suppose for us it's it, it's seeing how it helps others that I mean, makes it worthwhile having that conversation and it encourages people to open up and I, you know like we, we did a Good number of interviews in 2017, and uh, we did a TV interview which we discussed as well within that. And uh, I suppose we 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 became ambassadors for the Tackle Your Feelings campaign in early 2018 with Rugby Players Ireland. And that's a mental well being campaign that is aimed at reducing the stigma around mental health, but also encouraging people to be. Proactive in how they manage their mental well-being on a daily basis. And that's something everybody needs to do so that you know, when the pressure comes on, you're in a good place to cope with any pressures that, that are happening, be it on the farm or, or or no matter what job you have. And even by becoming ambassadors for that, I suppose we learned a huge amount in how we'd manage ourselves. And I suppose it's, you know, it's a huge honor to be able to share that message for... A campaign that's been so successful around the world, and even, you know, from the beginning, how successful it was within the Irish rugby team, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just—I suppose we in 2018, then we were—we actually travelled to Kenya and we did a, a talk on the "Tackle Your Feelings" campaign, and and a uh, one-story in Nairobi, which was uh, a huge pleasure to do. And, you know, the fact that we we just happened to be going to to Kenya anyway, it just tied in when we linked up with an organisation in in Nairobi that yeah while well, we're there why not why not do this I mean we spread the message. We were happy yeah. to give an afternoon in the week and, and meet up with an amazing group of students and yeah. uh, nobody from a farming background, but it's a common message and a common goal exactly. to uh, on how you manage yourself on a daily basis and. Um, just reduce stigma and get people to be very proactive with what they're doing?
0: Yeah, it's, um, you said something that I've been really kind of, I've discovered myself and then um, been talking to a lot of people about lately is, is that, you know, whether you're, whether you're suffering or whether, you know, you, you are, you feel like you're fine, you know, everyone has mental health. You know, it's not something, mental health isn't something for mentally disabled people or mentally challenged or, you know, people who are struggling with depression or anxiety. We all have mental health, just like we all have cardiac health. We all have respiratory health. You know, so it's something that we all need to pay attention to. And, uh, you know, I don't think, I think that's maybe part of the stigma that is associated with mental health is that people only really want to talk about it when they're, when there's problems, when it's too late, maybe I should say. And, uh, like you say it in, in the, in the ag sector, you know, there's so many people who live a life of isolation and you, you both said you were fortunate that you have one another, but so many people don't have that. And that's not, not so much where I'm at, we're relatively populated. I'm in South Central Missouri, but you know, people west of here, out in in the Great Plains, and west of there, you know, I mean, they they're lucky to see one person every couple of days, whether it be the seed salesman or the the veterinarian or whoever it may be. And uh, you know, it's important that we all keep that in the in the in the front of our minds or or in the back of your minds, wherever you may keep something like that. That you know, mental health is for everybody. Everybody has that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I I 100% agree with that. And I suppose, look, the conversation around mental health has really been opened up in the last few years, and there's a huge amount of people doing great work within it. And I would see the challenge more now being about opening up the conversation about mental well-being, because make no mistake, no matter what sector you work in in life, you're going to be challenged at some stage Mm -hmm. in your career. In your personal life, so, and everybody needs to be proactive in how they manage their mental well-being. So that when those pressures do come, you're in a good place and you're resilient and you're able to able to cope with it and work through it and, and move forward. And uh, I suppose the, John, the tackle your feelings campaign has been uh, hugely successful. They launched an app in early 2018, which has been downloaded all over the world and uh, that campaign has moved outside of Ireland now and gone to many countries. It's been to Australia and uh, I suppose it's a a fantastic message to share and even just looking at the app, how how it helps people to manage their daily life and when a crisis does come, they can look back and see have they been doing something different that has put them in in a tricky situation
0: it's kind of it's i i always say and i've heard a lot of people say that it's more it's about being proactive rather than reactive you know when it comes to mental health and our feelings you know i mean just like anything else you know you don't you don't start paying attention to your your blood pressure you know i mean or you shouldn't only pay attention to your blood pressure after you've had a heart attack you know, and it's, it's the same, you know, no different with mental health, you know, and I think a, I think a big part of it is, and this is, this is coming from me as a healthcare professional that I think the big problem some people see with it is there's no objective sign to tell someone else that you have depression or anxiety. You know, there's not, there's not a blood pressure reading or a your oxygen level or anything like that, you know, there's no lab for depression. and You know, that, that, that kind of tricks some people, I feel like.
2: Yeah, and I think, look, even to really simplify it, right? If you, want to, if you were to go into a room with, say, 100 room farmers and say to them, okay, look, 60% of you guys are going to have a crash with a quad. Mm-hmm. They'll all wear a helmet straight away. Right. The, the statistics are there. 50 to 60% of farmers are going to struggle with their mental health in their career at some stage because unfortunately, there's isolation, but there's huge challenges within the ag sector from market fluctuations to weather events. And it's usually a financial event that's been triggered somewhere along the line that is going to put a farmer into a real tough position. And then you try and work harder and work your way out of it and you start sleeping less. And that's when your mental health gets really challenged. And I think young farmers need to be made aware of that that it's a fantastic industry to work in, but beyond under no illusion, the, the challenges are there. And it's about being proactive and how you manage yourself from day one so that uh, when that happens in your career, you're in a great position to deal with it.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about your, uh, your Rearing to Go campaign and where that, where that started and what you all were able to do with, with the auction you had. Was that last month in September?
2: Yes, so that was in early, early September. And, and Rearing to Go, I suppose, because we had done a number of different charity events in the last couple of years. We had been kind of looking at the back end of 2018 uh, about what we would do in 2019, what we would do going forward. Uh, and I was making a speech at the Farmer of the Year Awards in November of 2018. And I was, uh, Helen Carroll, who was a TV presenter here, was emceeing on the night. And she rang me a few days later because I had been speaking about mental health in my speech. Uh, and she said, You know, Pete, she said, there's a very good friend of mine called Angela Hayes who runs a suicide prevention charity and she wants to engage more with the agricultural sector uh, and would I be willing to have a chat with Angela and with myself and Paula, be willing to have a chat with her. Um, And I mean, we were 100% up for having a chat straight away, but we both kind of decided... Let's do more than have a conversation. Let's see what we can do and if we can raise a few bob for her to help out with the amazing work that she does. So we came up with the concept of Raring to Go, which originally was to raise money uh, for the Thomas Hayes Trust and for Angela Hayes. And But we also wanted it to be a mental health awareness campaign for the ag sector. And I suppose at the time we kind of we were targeting Farmers in Ireland and trying to create awareness here. But when you're on social media, very often you can push something a lot further than that. So Mm -hmm. we had an auction in March of uh, 2019, and we raised uh, 17 and a half thousand euros that day. Uh, And we were very lucky that Irish farmers donated a lot of calves to the auction, and we had a lot of companies on board. And it was a good fun day, and it was a great day to create awareness and um, and like it, it costs about five hundred euros to push uh someone who is contemplating suicide or a family that have lost someone to suicide through counseling, so seventeen and a half thousand was gonna help a lot of people who were who were in a bad place, and at the time, we were asked, would we be willing to have an auction in the u k and we said we would. Definitely be interested in it, but on the condition that we were able to hold a conference and a workshop to create awareness and and give people the tools to go through everyday pressures in farming. Uh, so we worked right through to September trying to build it and put it together and get companies on board. And it was a, a fantastic day from the level of speakers we had there and that raised. Um, just over eight thousand pounds sterling. It was, I think, it was just, just about ten thousand euros we raised on the day. But I think it was the level of awareness that it created, and and what it did for the conversation in the UK was the big part for us. I mean, the the emails and messages that we got in the lead up to it and and it just so after phenomenal. the event was phenomenal. Like, and from people that we had never met, don't know how they got our contact details and. It was really it was really humbling to see the conversation may, maybe being stirred a bit, and I suppose because we were two Irish farmers taking something to the UK when <laughs> the sector's been really challenged with Brexit at the moment, uh-huh. it, it, it probably put it into the spotlight a little bit easier for us than someone in the UK doing it because people kind of stood back and said, why? Um, uh-huh. But they got it at the end of the day no matter what country you're from, we're all farmers. We're all trying to do the same job, uh, and we all face the same challenges. and And I think we need to stick together as best we can. and And uh, it's something we can work on globally to to create better mental health awareness and and get farmers to be proactive. and I mean, there's so many organisations. Um, From uh, Are You Bogged Down, mate, in Australia, right across to Do More and what they do in Canada is phenomenal. Like, And uh, even in the UK there, I mean, the the industry in the UK is so proactive. Um, We've become huge friends with so many people that are working in charities that are working in the sector over there. And uh, it's it's nice to see everyone coming together to try and achieve the, the same end goal
0: yeah that's that's a big part of it you know two things uh first thing I want to talk about is how you you said that you know it never really hit home with me you know the the money that you raise is great that's that's wonderful, but it might be secondary to the awareness that you raise and you know that's really like i i'm when talking about this auction, I never really even thought of it that way, but that's that's incredible that you may never know the true effect of how how many People you touched and how many people you possibly saved, you know, just from raising awareness through this event, through this auction, and then um, you kind of talked about, and it's something I actually wanted to talk to you a little bit about anyway. So you kind of made me a perfect segue into it. And you know, there's a lot of in the industry, in the ag industry, you know, the different sectors, the beef. You know, I'm I'm a beef guy. You know, there's a lot of inter sectional debate, intersectional bickering over what practices are right. I'm sure you guys go through something very similar in the dairy industry. And uh, you know how people can, it's just like anything else, how people can turn to social media and start attacking one another. And, you know, if we really, we have to realize at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're all part of the same team. We're all farmers, we're all ag producers. And, you know, I think sometimes that kind of gets lost in our, you know, fast paced, social media based society, it seems like that we're all, we're not all that much different, you know, even though we may do a few things different, we're not all that much different. And, you know, to, to fight with one another, it just seems silly.
2: I think there's a, there's a few questions there uh, and, uh, and great questions. And I go, I go back to the, the kind of start of what you were saying there and, Yes, helping one person would be a huge thing for us and and we were were lucky. We did a a fantastic interview with BBC Radio uh, at the auction in Shrewsbury in the UK and the reporter said to us after, he said, you know guys, he said what you've done here, he said forget about how many people are here, forget about how much money is raised. He said, you will never meet the person but he said, today you've helped someone and that was all we wanted to do on the day, was if it helped one person and made them stand up and say, okay, look, I'm going to go and seek help. I'm going to chat to someone. That was all we wanted to do. And we need to, I think in having these conversations, we need to be quite clear. The suicide rate in agriculture is, it really needs to be, as an industry, we need to step up and be proactive in how we take it on. because. If you look at Ireland, there's 26 farmers lose their lives to suicide every year on average. In the UK, is uh, a farmer every two days. The statistics for suicide in agriculture globally would frighten you. And how do we get those people to engage? We can't wait for them to come to us because if you're in a position like that in your life, I don't think you're going to go to a conference or a workshop. Uh, and the industry needs to take that message to those farmers and, and hit them on the darkest day of their life and say, we are here for you and the support is there. You just make this phone call and we're there to help you straight away and hopefully change the statistics from where they are at the moment. And it's a conversation we're having with a number of people in the UK at the moment. And if any one of them listens to this podcast, I can assure you what we're going to do is going to happen. And we're going to take that conversation into the farmyard and engage with those farmers and we're not going to wait for them to come come looking for us. So, uh, look, I I I think all organizations are are of the same belief that, uh, that that is where we need to go from that perspective. But also just moving on to what you were saying about how we interact with each other on social media and myself and Paula did a podcast with Will Evans recently and it was one point we brought up, look, we see so much bickering uh, and arguing and fighting on social media. And we've seen it in Ireland. We've, we, we're looking, watching it unfold in the UK in the last few months uh, among farmers. I mean, everyone needs to be conscious. Look, we're not all going to agree on the same topics and we're going to want to farm in different ways and and use different practices. And there's no right way. There's no wrong way. But if you don't agree with someone Just because you're on social media, why have a trash at them? Why bash them for what they're doing? I think we need to treat people as if we're walking down the street. If you're walking down the street, you're going to stop someone and have a full-blown argument just because you don't agree with what they're doing. I I think most of us would just keep walking and ignore them. And and if you don't agree with someone on social media... At the end of the day, they're your they're your comrades. They're working in 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 the same game as farmers. Just move on and don't have that ridiculous conversation. I'm I'm all up for debate, but uh, it's gone it's gone far beyond debate at the moment. And if you look in the UK, a certain sector has created what they call the ag elite and uh, they seem to be comfortable at having uh, a bash at the ag elite the whole time, but. No, I in eat. And, uh, yes, there's people probably, they ha- they have a bigger following on social media, but that's because they're hugely passionate about what they do in the industry and, and they work extremely hard for it. And we've been on the receiving end of some of that from time to time. And uh, at the end of the day, my li- our lives would be a lot quieter if we didn't <laughs> do as much as we did publicly. But it's something we're passionate about and we're there to try and help out fellow farmers. and. I think we just need to be conscious that when all those arguments are happening on social media between farmers and real nasty arguments, the public are looking in, maybe, not, and they're not engaging or liking or commenting on, on anything. They're they're just looking in the same, "Geez, the farmers are having a right-on trash at each other, fighting."
0: <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know it's so silly because we have enough people attacking us from the outside. You know that we have enough people to wanting to come after animal agriculture. You know that are that are outside the industry. You know, so I mean to to think to think about how short-sighted we are to argue. You know, at at over things that at the end of the day are minuscule, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And I I think the big problem is, is now don't get me wrong. I love social media. Social media is the reason that you guys and myself are having this conversation. It is a wonderful tool, but it's also can be a poison because it removes all sort of face-to-face confrontation. And like you said, if somebody had these opinions walking down the street, would you confront them? More than likely, no. You just, you just ignore him and keep walking. But so, what social media has done is that it has removed that face to face confrontation. And that's, that's the there's no, <laughs> you know, you're, of course you're going to say whenever, whatever you want to someone when there's no chance of them sucking you in the face right then, you know? So, um, you know, we've, we've kind of lost that.
2: Yeah. And no, look, I mean, when we, when we did the podcast or went there, like, a- I all I said to him on the day and we both said to him, Look, I know there's plenty of people on social media and plenty of farmers that don't like me and I'm fine <laughs> with that. And and we tend to stay clear of each other and if I see something on they post on social media, I might have a good laugh about it, but I, I don't comment, I don't engage, I just keep walking and uh I generally if I'm posting a comment on something on social media I uh, I have a, a new rule that I count to 10 uh, and I tend to get myself <laughs> in less trouble. And uh, the odd time I, I, I only get as far as eight or nine and I make it to an eejit of myself. But <laughs> <laughs> i am to target 10 all the
0: time. Well, it's, kind of a good rule of thumb that if uh, if you're pissing people off on social media you're probably doing something right <laughs> and it's worth pissing those few people off if you're going to do some good you know it's 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 worth making those people uncomfortable if you're if you're going to with the work you guys are doing very possibly save somebody's life you know so
2: yeah and even, even make good friends I mean just uh, we have so many amazing friends on social media and and every time we go somewhere, we'll we'll always meet someone that we've been chatting to for, for a long time. And when we were in the UK, we went to UK Dairy Day on the Wednesday before we had the conference. And we met some amazing friends that day and, and people that really inspire us. And social media is a great place to be. And and people just need to be conscious that it that it can be can be a nasty place as well. And uh we we'll try and if we can't get on, try and give each other a bit of room. Because let's be clear, and you see it, and and we've seen it. Like if you look at the the people arguing against climate change and the animal rights activists and all these lunatics. I mean, it, they have no concept of what agriculture is, but they're no. quite willing to bash us seven days a week, 365 days a year. And let's let's not do it to each other. Let's leave them do us and uh, and try and shine a good light on agriculture culture as best we can.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's there's enough people attacking us that we, you know, we can't fight with one another. What we can do is is paint ourselves in a in a proper picture. And you guys, when you had, you know, that open dairy day like you had, had people come to your place and, you know, hey, this is what it's all about. You know, our cows are out on grass ninety to ninety-five percent of the time, you know. You know, they're only in a barn because they're in a barn because it's it's more hospitable for them. You know, um, you're treating them right. You're not, you know, like you say, you it is a business. But, you know, you treat those you treat those cattle as if they were your family, you know. Yeah. and Yeah. I mean, we we feel the same way, you know. We Be-
1: call them the ladies. They're like they all have names. They all come up for hugs and kisses and selfies. <laughs> they're from family.
0: Yeah, you guys have holsteins, so uh it's a little bit different than our beef cows here. They uh they're, they're minor I, I try to do my best to call the the really crazy ones, but you know, they uh Ours aren't quite <laughs> gentle enough to come up for a, for a picture. I've got a few of them, but not many. The one, Those are the ones that my, my kids have raised as bottle calves. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got a few of those that are... I'm not sure if they're ever going to make any money, but they're sure fun to have around.
2: <laughs> so. yeah, I think like you were saying there about having the open day, it's one of the things we love about having the farm tours. I mean, the the people that that visited from the U.S. and from Canada this year... Not one of them is from a farming background. And it's a great opportunity for us to 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 showcase what really happens on a dairy farm and to get rid of the myths. And we have phenomenal conversations about glyphosate and uh, about climate change and about how, how the dairy calf is managed and, and, and the bull calf is managed. And it gives them a real concept of what happens on a farm and it's it, it, social media. Then is a great way to keep in contact with those people going forward. And I think we are, We must all be conscious that, as farmers, we're we're our own shop front window, whether it be in person on the farm or on social media. It, you know, that's that's the the picture that people are getting of agriculture.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's super. You know, I don't know of an, a time any more critical than this than for us to you know, to show up and be our best selves and be our, you know, be the best, be the best farmers and ranchers we can be. And a quote I kind of thought about when you guys were talking in, in regards to social media was, uh it was a, a quote from my organic, I don't know who who came up with it, but it was a quote that my organic chemistry teacher in college told to us one time. And it says the only difference between the poison and the medicine is the dose. And I think that's kind of applicable to social media and how we use it is, uh, you know, if, if we use too much of it, if we use it in a negative way, then yes, it's poison. But if we use it right, if we use it in, you know, the pinpointed right targeted areas, then yes, it's absolutely a medicine. So, um, I've been thinking about that while we've been, while we've been talking today. And, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty applicable. Yeah, no, great, great, uh, great quote. So today, guys, we're talking to Peter and Paula Hines of Cork, Ireland. Um, They have been so gracious with their time here today. I'm very thankful for them taking the time tonight for them. We had a little bit of uh, scheduling conflict. Apparently, I can't do simple math here in uh, the Ozarks of Missouri. Um, I can't. Subtract and add by six. I thought. I thought uh, they're on they're on uh, GMT time and I'm on Central time and I it's plus six and apparently I thought six plus two equaled eight and uh, or whatever I don't remember remember the calculation but they were very gracious and very I'm very thankful for them being patient with uh, with me so uh, guys do you have anything you want to share before uh, we part here today?
2: Look, I think I mean, we've covered so much, and it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you, Jason. And I, I think, John, the main message for us is: look, that if you are struggling, there's always someone out there willing to listen, willing to help. Uh, be it a neighbour, uh, a friend, and and there's so many fantastic organisations out there willing to help. And and also, John, for for anyone that's that's listening, I mean. It's so important that we be proactive in how we manage our mental well-being. And it's, it's not a hugely technical thing to, to do, looking after your well-being. It can be eating well, making sure you get a good night's sleep, doing some fun things outside of working the whole time. Uh, for us, we go on date night regular and that gets us off farm. Um, and uh, they're hugely important things to do.
0: Yeah, we do the same. You know, we make sure, of course, we haven't, it's been busy. We've got, we've got our kids playing all different sports and we've got fall calving going on. Um, you know, so it's been kind of hard for us to get away, but, uh, you know, we, that's something Carrie and I take a big, uh, priority in our lives is like, is, is taking a date pretty regularly. So, uh, I'm glad you guys mentioned that. And it, it seems to me like my values and my vision kind of line up with you guys. And I, I can sure appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys, um, all the work that you have done and all the work that you will do in the future. So how can people find you online on social media? So on social media, I'm Peter Heinz 15.
1: I'm uh, at Paula Heinz 4.
2: And you can also find our, the Rearing to Go page on at Raring g. Uh, and then Paula's also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it's and
1: Peter Paula Hines on Instagram, and Paula Hines on Facebook.
2: I haven't got to grips with Instagram. I'm just <laughs> Twitter. Twitter's fine for me. Instagram is like starting Twitter all over again. <laughs> I'm just a social media idiot. When I get off t- off Twitter, I can cope with it
0: you know, just when I figure it out, like just when I think I have social media figured out, they, they change something or they add something new. And, you know, I see all these people doing all these things like, and I'm just, gosh, I, I can't figure that out. So I just, I try to do the best I can, you know, but it's uh it's, it's a struggle, you know, and I'm not, I know I'm not old, but I'm not the young kids either, you know, so uh, it's kind of hard to keep up with them. So
1: uh, I'm sick. My six-year-old
0: can rock the phone better than I can. Oh, mine, mine too. I I have a fourteen, twin, eight-year-olds, and a six-year-old, and I mean, they put they put things on my phone. I have no idea how they got there, and I have no idea how to get them off. So they just they drive me crazy sometimes. (laughs) But, uh, well, I really appreciate you guys being patient and taking the time here tonight. And uh, I know you're probably ready to go to bed soon. So uh, I'll uh, I'll part with you and um, tell you again how much I appreciate you. Thanks, man and
1: Jason. Thanks, Jason. It was
0: our yeah. pleasure. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ag state of mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.